Well, my Apple computer says 2 o'clock, and since uh, Apple sets the time of our life, uh, we'll begin. I'll um, mention a little bit about myself and a little bit about where we're going in this session, and that will give others a, a chance to, to come in. I'm Mark Manassi, and I've been the senior minister at the Culver Palms Church of Christ in West Los Angeles for almost 15 years, uh, coming up on September 1st. Uh, before that, I was a hospital chaplain at Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville for, for four years, and before that, did different kinds of ministry, campus ministry. And I'm also an adjunct uh, professor here at Pepperdine, so that's my getaway once a week, is to come up here and to teach a New Testament survey class, so that's uh, a lot of fun. Um, where we're going in this class is... Uh, we, especially since it's after lunch, uh, we'll do a few interactive things and get some audience participation. Um, and then at the conclusion of the, the class, I'm going to do a little guided meditation for us. Um, I prepared my material, and then I also talked to about six long-term ministers to get some of their feedback on what we're going to be talking about. And um, I was happy to see, thank you, that some of these things uh, converged together um, in some different ways. So that, that was helpful and encouraging. And I'll be sharing some of what, what they said as well. So um, this class is called um, Staying Fresh in Ministry, Spiritual Vitality. Uh, my brother here talked about elder uh, minister relations on Wednesday. And so this is kind of a series of how to stay fresh in ministry, kind of through the, the ups and downs of ministry. If, you, if you're not a professional minister, I think this will be helpful for you as well. But um, several of the things I'm going to be saying are directed specifically towards, towards ministers. But hey, we're all ministers in the body of Christ, so we'll all benefit from that as well. So I want to start off with um, an image and this is, uh, whoops, this is, um, I don't know if you've heard of this before, but this is a, I'm going to say it right, kintsugi vase. My Japanese isn't perfect. And this is a, a Japanese form of art. And how this works is, um, the vase is actually broken by accident or on purpose. And then the pieces are glued back together with gold leaf to make, I think, a very beautiful vase. This is kind of a metaphor, um, definitely for myself, um, and I think for spiritual vitality as we're talking about it, that all of us are broken vases, and, and certainly I feel that way. And to the extent that we're put together at all, the gold leaf is God's grace. And in fact, if this was going to represent me, there would still be some chips on the ground <laughs> that haven't been put back in, in place yet. But I think this is a wonderful image of what God is trying to weave together in our life and the beauty that God is trying to create. But it also only happens through our brokenness and the pieces being put back together for, for any of us. If you're a minister, you know that well. 
if you're not a professional minister, just realize that's going on with your minister too. Uh, we're, we're all in the same boat in this journey. So as I thought about um, spiritual vitality and just kind of played with that word and sat with that for a while, two things came to mind. One is something that the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 4, that his hope for the Galatians is that Christ would be formed in them, that Christ would be birthed in them. And so I think that is one side or one very important goal of spiritual vitality, that Christ would be formed in us. And uh, that only happens uh, through this process. But that's one side of it. The other side of it, at least as I'm thinking about it today, that spiritual vitality means having our cup full for ministry. Or if not full, at least three quarters full or more than half full. That if we are going to minister well, we can't have an empty cup. Um, that if we are simply trying to minister out of our deficit and our emptiness, we're going we're gonna to burn out. We're going to seem inauthentic. Um, we're not going to last very long. But if we can kind of have our cup somewhat full, <laughs> more than half empty, then there's something to share. There's something to pour out. Um, there's something to share with others. And so some of the things I'm going to be talking about today are both, on the one hand, Christ being formed in us, and on the other hand, um, having our cup full, or filling our cup, or getting our cup fuller than it is right now. And as I thought about this um, a lot, one of the questions that came to my mind is the connection between spiritual vitality and self-care. Now, as I thought about this and reflected on it, I didn't think that I would naturally put those two things together. And yet they seemed crucial to me in terms of having my cup fuller. And so as I asked some of the other ministers, uh, longtime ministers, if they saw a connection between these two, uh, they said, absolutely, yes, definitely, that how we care or don't care for ourselves um, affects how we think of ourselves spiritually and to the extent whether our cup is, is running on empty or whether it's filled a little bit higher. Now, by self-care, I don't mean that we're constantly preoccupied with ourselves, that we're simply self-centered, or that we do things for ourselves to the neglect of others. But it does mean that we have to take care of ourselves, and that if we're going to have a fuller cup to share with others, we've, we've got to do that. It's not an optional thing. And so, uh, one of the questions I want to ask is what refreshes or is life-giving to you? What, is, what refreshes you or is life-giving to you? And I don't want you to think, um, at least initially or only, in terms of, or categories that we would normally think of as spiritual. You can think of some of those. But try to think of some other things that, refresh you or are life-giving for you that maybe we wouldn't necessarily 
fit into that spiritual category. And I'm going to give you a few from um, my own life. So one of the things I do on Monday mornings, and we're going to talk about uh, Sabbath in a little bit, is I go, I live in West Los Angeles, so I do a 20-mile bike ride to the, to the beach um, and back. And this picture is from a couple of weeks ago on the bicycle path going from Culver City to, uh, to the beach. And there were all these wildflowers just blossoming everywhere. And that's my rejuvenation uh, bike ride on Mondays. That's the time when I can uh, decompress from Sunday, uh, pray a little bit while I'm biking, see the beauty of, the, uh, of uh, God's creation and, and the beach, and just kind of see what comes into my mind. Um, another thing that... Um, might not consider spiritual, and I'm still trying to think whether it is, but it is refreshing me. Um, I started taking a Krav Maga class. I don't know if any of you know what it is, but it's uh, an Israeli self-defense class. And so I always tell my wife and son, I'm, I'm going to uh, beat up some people and get beat up, uh, which is interesting because I try to consider myself a pacifist, so I'm not sure how this all fits in together. But I know I feel refreshed and rejuvenated um, coming out of those classes. And there's something about using my, my body and being physical and, and getting tired, um, blowing off steam, that is very renewing for me. Um, here's one other one. My wife and I, sometimes we're a little bit... Um, slow to trends, but um, we have started enjoying on Netflix watching the Father Brown Mysteries. I don't know if any of you have uh, come across those. So I think it, it went off the air several years ago, but we're working our way through six seasons and, and loving it. So um, if you like uh, murder mysteries, uh, I recommend the Father Brown Mysteries. So uh, this is where you get to share a little bit and stay awake. So um, what what do you find refreshes you or renews you? And it can be what we might put in a spiritual category or, or not. It's all spiritual, but what are some of those things? Yeah. I, I play golf, uh, and so... Uh, God bless you. Yeah, refreshing. <laughs> okay. Refreshing for me. All right. Others? Yeah. Um, fishing. Fishing. And uh, yard work. All right. Excellent. Anyone else? I go to antique stores. Yeah. Nice. Great. Yeah. Surfing. Surfing. Yeah. Bicycles and motorcycles and being by myself. Ah. All right. Wonderful. Anything related to music, particularly vocal music? Yeah. We've sang in a choir for many years, and then I like playing the guitar and singing. That's Those great. Are very refreshing. That's great. Anyone else? Yeah. I like Zumba. Zuma. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Well, these are all spiritual, I, I want to tell you. <laughs> and, and I think there's something about, and, and really, all of these are bodily activities, even antique shopping. Uh, part of that is we're bodily creatures. We can't avoid that. And so I really think it's helpful for us to think in terms of our our bodies, and our spiritual lives, that these things go together and are important. Um, 
I also find personally reading good theology books uh, refreshing and, and renewing, if I get to pick them. And, and so I think it's really important that we capitalize and hold to those things that spiritually or, or, or life-giving or refreshing for us and to consider those spiritual. Uh, we're going to come back to this in, in a minute, um, but hold on to those things, keep them in mind, and um, be thinking about the, this. Okay, so now we're going to talk for just a moment about what we might more traditionally put in that you know, spiritual category, which is prayer. And so I want you to think about what is your practice of prayer? Because I think um, no, matter, no matter what spiritual disciplines we do, prayer is always going to be an essential part of that. But as I asked people what their practice of prayer was, uh, these ministers uh, like me, um, I got a variety of answers, which, which was interesting. And um, I'm going to share, first of all, kind of what, what I have been doing the last year, and then I'll share some of the, theirs, and I'd love to hear some of yours. So like many people, I've struggled with doing different kinds of prayer and starting and stopping and being regular and irregular. Uh, last year at the Bible lectures, uh, Brian Zahn came and did a prayer school. I don't know if any of you were here for that. I got sick and, and missed it, but I did find his prayer school online. And Brian recommends um, creating um, your own kind of morning liturgy. And he had uh, one resource, um, which was using some of the divine hours. I don't know if you've come across this, but these are our prayers of the church, mostly from the, the Psalms and other readings that have been used for maybe 1,600 years. And then he added some other things, um, traditional prayers, to create his own kind of morning liturgy. And so I, I borrowed some of his ideas and, and kind of combined them with the divine hours. And I'm going to tell you, I was going to put it up on the board, but I can't write that fast, that you can get an app of the divine hours that will change by the day. And it's from annarborvineyard.org. And if you look under resources, you can find it on their website. But anyway, when I created my morning liturgy, I used the, the divine hours on the, on the app. But then I included some things like the Beatitudes. I say the Beatitudes. Um, the Jesus Creed, if you're familiar with that term from Scott McKnight. What is the greatest commandment? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And I try to put myself in a spot where I can say these things out, out loud. Um, and I say the Apostles' Creed, very unchurch of Christ, but the Apostles' Creed is from a very short time after the, the first century. And these are core things that I doubt anybody here would disagree with, um, but it is a reminder of what's central to our faith, what, am I, what, am, what I am confessing. And then I say the Jesus prayer, uh, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then I have a time of personal and intercessory prayer, uh, thanksgiving, 
intercessory prayer for my family, needs in the church, my own life. And then I try to spend about 10 minutes in centering prayer, if you're familiar with, with centering prayer. If you're not, um, I might share some, some of that a little bit later, but basically it's a way to, to meditate and to uh, clear your mind of distractions and center yourself on God's presence. And you typically pick a word like God or love or Jesus or healing is my, my word, that you would repeat, not necessarily as a mantra, but when you find yourself being distracted to repeat that word, to keep you centered on God's presence. So this is a prayer of, of silence where you're not having to talk, you're not having to ask for things, you are simply in God's presence. And I do that for 10 minutes. And then um, I say, say a couple other prayers that, that Brian had, had written um, I'll share those later in our session today. And then I go back to the divine hours for the last part where I say the Lord's Prayer and a couple of the prayers that are for, the, for this specific day. So that's kind of my pattern of prayer. Brian Zond, I think, makes a great point by saying that this is important to do rather than just your, your own prayers because uh, when we pray in our own we can get selfish, <laughs> we can get kind of narrow in our focus, and that these are the prayers of the church for almost 2,000 years to shape us that have stood the test of, of time. And I thought that was really interesting, and one other minister echoed that. Um, this minister said, more and more my prayers take the form of reading from modern adaptations of the Book of Hours, so that was interesting, <laughs> same as this, um, or Philip Newell's Iona community. He says, my own prayers stay stuck on myself and the prayers of the centuries lift me up to praise and centeredness in God. And so I thought that was very interesting. Um, a few months ago, I heard the late Eugene Peterson on a, a radio show called On Being with Krista Tippett. Some of you may be familiar with it. And Eugene Peterson, of course, has, has been a great devotional writer and uh, wrote the message. And he said his prayer life centers around um, seven psalms that he has memorized. And he simply takes one of those psalms during the day and prays through it from memory. I thought, wow, that's, that's beautiful. Um, so I think... Maybe the key is not to say, okay, this is the right way, this is the wrong way, but to find something that's doable for you, that's meaningful for you, and that you feel like is helping form Christ in you. Now, I'd be lying if I said I did this every day, but I try to do it as many days as I can, and I have found it um, refreshing for me. So I would love to hear from you. What, what are some of the prayer practices um, that have been life-giving, helpful, meaningful for you. Yes? Uh, before that, do you mind answering do you, what time of day do you do this? And do you do it at home, office? Yeah. That would be interesting to know. Yeah, you know, I really struggle because we don't have a, a separate quiet room. And in the morning, my son is getting ready for school. We're getting ready to go to work. So sometimes it happens in the morning, sometimes it happens in the afternoon in my office, 
Um, sometimes I'm kind of forced because of other people around to do it in silence, but I prefer to do it out loud. So, so it's been a somewhat of a moving target, but I feel like I'm at least doing it regularly. And um, so ideally, it would be in the morning before I went into the office um, in a nice, uh, quiet place, but that just hasn't always happened. That, that would be the ideal. And I'll share too. Please. Asked, um, so, I'm, I mean, I'm like you. I've tried, you know, tried a lot of things, and some things stick for a while, and some don't. Um, what has been helpful for me recently is um, centering prayer, mm. as you said. And, you know, I, I've kind of morphed it into something that's helpful for me. So, because um, I'm easily distracted right now in my prayer. Um, but I typically do it first thing when I get to the office, um, and I've questioned if I should do that. But I usually get there before anyone else just because of my morning routine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I do it with the lights off in my office, and I sit in a different chair than my office desk mm -hmm. chair. Um, and I usually spend some time praying for for other people and then sometime centering prayer. I use an app, let me see what's it's called Insight Timer. It's very helpful because you can designate how long you want you know the your time to go for and you can have interval noises if you prefer mm -hmm. things mm -hmm. like that. Um, but that's kinda that's been my routine practice. That's great. And I, I definitely don't do it every day, but it, the days that I do it, I really do see a difference. That's great. So. Someone else, what, what has been helpful for you? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a morning person, so I do mine in the morning. Uh, my wife could never do that. She's a night owl. So I think, I think people have to find what works yes. for them. But I do find that you have to kind of surround it about something you do every day because if you say I'm going to get around to it, mm -hmm. you won't get around yeah. to it. So I do mine in the morning, and I, I, I change mine up. It's typically scripture reading and then prayer, but uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes I'll do scripture memorization, mm. and sometimes I've done the centering prayers and some other things. I find that if I stay with one thing very long, it becomes pretty ritualistic for mm -hmm. me, and so I'll just change that from time to time and do different things. Following all of these things, really, yeah, yeah, at some point or sometime. Wonderful, thank you. Someone else, what has been meaningful for you? <coughs> One minister said uh, he has to drive <laughs> to have a sense of, of disengagement from whatever else is going on in the morning, and he'll try to get to a spot with some nature. And then pray, you know, pray, and he has different prayers that he'll do different days of the of the week. You know, maybe praying for, I think always for his family, but one day maybe for his elders, another day for the church, another day for for different things. So I thought that was was very interesting. Any others that somebody would like to share? I find the shower. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a full sensory experience. Uh huh. There's the feeling of being in a wash mm -hmm. in presence, the sound, 
even the smells of familiar mm -hmm. bath products. Um, and it's a modicum of private space yeah. in the midst of a busy life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other thing is that I, I, I tend to pray best when not reading. Uh -huh. So hearing a spoken yeah. song yeah. Or, or something like that. Uh, but my, my mind catches on the words mm -hmm. that I'm reading. And so mm -hmm. I, I find that, that it, it, it's more difficult to yeah. maintain a, a prayerful intent if I'm reading. Yeah. Um, so that's mm -hmm. a couple of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the things about the divine hours, too, the, the Psalms in here, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but they have the markings to chant. And so I will chant, do a simple chant of the Psalms, which is another reason why I need to be alone to do it, because <laughs> I don't want anyone to hear me uh, trying to chant. But, but it is another way of, of kind of be making this a more bodily um, kind of thing. and. And it is becomes a prayer to God, and it does connect us when, when it's a more sensory, sensory uh, type of thing. And we'll share a couple other ways of, of praying as well um, through our, our time here. All right. Um, now I want to talk about um, Sabbath and sabbatical. Just keep an eye on our time. Um, Sabbath and sabbatical. So uh, one of the things I want to really encourage is that ministers, and really all of us if we can, to try to have a Sabbath at least once a week. Now I say that, and I get about three quarters of a Sabbath on, on Monday, <laughs> which is my, my day. Um, so about three o'clock I leave to come to Pepperdine to, to teach on campus. But from the time I get up till 3 o'clock is my, my Sabbath time on Monday. I do my bike ride. I get to spend some time with my wife. Um, one thing I make sure I never do, or try to never do, I usually stick with it, is I don't look at any emails from church. <laughs> you know, keep, keep that away, keep that, that space. So that there is um, some separation from my ministry um, to, to simply be and in, in, in rest. And I think um, rest and sleep are, are really crucial. And in our society, um, a lot of people go without sleep. And, and the people who you know, know these things say, we're, we're paying a horrible cost for that. And, and I think even spiritually, we pay a cost for that. So there's something about sleep, rest, Sabbath, even if we have to work at it, even if we can't quite get a full day of Sabbath, I think it's worth trying to work towards that and to get to that, that spot as close as we can. And now the semester is over, so I'm looking forward to having a full uh, day of Sabbath on, on Mondays. Um, I know other ministers who Fridays, their their day off, and that that's their you know, Sabbath, Sabbath day. So anyone else have a Sabbath practice that you do or trying to carve out space for that? Anyone else has tried to work towards that end? And, and I think there's lots of ways of doing it. It can be disengagement from ministry. It can be, you know, not doing work per se, but something else that's rejuvenating. 
Anyone else want to share any kind of Sabbath experience, or is that just kind of a growing edge that may take some more <laughs> convi- uh, conviction? Yeah. We have what we call Adventure Thursday. Uh-huh. Uh, I had always had Monday off or Friday off, and the place where I moved to had Thursday as the option, which turned out to be a real blessing because then that way I could convince myself I can get all my rest of my work done on yeah. Friday, yeah. and I'll actually take Thursday as a day off. And we had found we didn't really enjoy the places where we were, and so my wife and I decided we were going to have an adventure every Thursday. That's great. We would go out and find something to do. We would go on a hike or go to a new place. And that's just been a really good time for yeah. us to be able to get away and be able to do some good things. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing that. Now, we might encourage our, our members, our church members, to take Sunday as a Sabbath, but for us, that's certainly not a, a Sabbath by, by, by any means. Um, Anyone else have a practice? Yeah. I, I've been taking off Friday for years, but Friday, Saturday are still days that are interrupted. Yeah. And it really doesn't take much. When I get interrupted, then it sounds like the day is, yeah. and that's, that's, that's my fault. Yeah, yeah, Looking yeah. at it that way. But I'm a, as an early riser, I, I have a Sabbath mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. that day. Every month, every day, every day but uh, Sunday. That's I'm great. up at four. Wow. I'm up the office till nine. So I have those. Those are my That's hours great. to do whatever I feel I need for the day. It's yeah. a two-hour bike ride. It's going to the gym. It is um, reading what I want to read. That's not associated yeah. with a sermon or a class. Wonderful. Praying for, um, you know. The prayers are just whatever comes mm-hmm. to mind, um, and no one, I'm pretty much, no one's going to interrupt me during that time, Yeah, yeah. so I can have the, the uninterrupted time, and that's, it took a lot to have that discipline to get up and do that. Yeah. That's great. For me. So if I get interrupted on Friday or Saturday, so be it. Yeah. I had my Friday, Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah. As a late riser, I'm envious of you. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And then I'm done by eight o'clock, and I'm, you know, I'm pretty tired. Then. Wow. So I want to talk about sabbatical now, Sabbath and sabbatical. Um, I have had uh, since I've been uh, just about 15 years at Culver Palms. I've had two sabbaticals, um, which have been. After seven years, three months off for renewal and refreshment. And I can't tell you how important, well, I guess I am going to tell you how important those times have, have been. Um, last summer, for three months, was my second sabbatical. And I, part of my sabbatical, I went to Spain and walked a portion of the Camino de Santiago. I don't know if you've heard of it before, but there I am. I I think I look pretty happy there. I had just finished. Um, The Camino, if you're not familiar with it, you might uh, watch the movie The Way with Martin Sheen. And it's a pilgrimage walk that people have walked for over 1,200 years to Santiago um, de Compostelo. 
in, uh, in Spain, which is the uh, traditional burial site of James uh, the Apostle. Um, and it's an incredible experience. I walked 200 miles. I didn't know a soul when I got there, but I met wonderful people who were on their, their own spiritual pilgrimage, and it was a very moving experience. I had time by myself. I had time with others. I had time to pray. I was walking. I was doing something very um, physical. I, I was in my, my zone. I was in my, my sweet spot. And every two to three hours, I could stop for a croissant and coffee. So it was, it was great. Um, and so I am so grateful that my church provided that and that I got that in my contract um, when I came to Culver Palms, that that is just an important time. My first sabbatical, I got a grant from um, the Louisville Institute and was able to do um, a trip to Greece and Turkey. And some of you may remember that Everett Ferguson a few years ago wrote a really big book on, on baptism. And he had a few pictures in the back of ancient baptistries. And I thought, I want to go to those places and take color pictures of those baptistries. And I even found one that he hadn't taken a picture of, which was very exciting. And, and my whole family went on this, on this trip. So it was kind of a, a great family um, journey as well. And it, it was just a great experience. I also connected with our good friends, the Melaritos in, in Athens, Greece, and got to experience um, a uh, church retreat that they had in Sincre. And uh, we also spent a week uh, camping in Yosemite. But those were really crucial times for me in ministry. The Louisville Foundation, who gave out these grants, the one that I got the first time around, did uh, some research on um, over 500 grant recipients to see how taking a sabbatical helped or hindered both the recipient of the sabbatical and the church. And I want to read you a little bit of what some of their results were because I think, I think they're important. 87% um, of pastors report that their sabbatical significantly review, uh, renewed their commitment to ministry, something noticed also by 86% of congregational observers. So they went back and not only interviewed the, the ministers, but also the congregations. 80% of grantees report that their sabbatical refreshed or re-energized them to a great extent, while another 15% say to a moderate extent. 94% of congregational representatives indicate that they perceive their pastor to have been refreshed or re-energized after the sabbatical. Um, a solid majority of both grantees and their congregations report a significant, enduring post-sabbatical strengthening of the pastor's ministries of teaching and preaching after the sabbatical. Um, pastors who take sabbaticals report that they are more likely to take regular Sabbath days after their sabbaticals, while congregational representatives report that their pastors tend to work harder after their sabbatical. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty good. The congregation thinks you're working harder and you're taking a Sabbath, mm -hmm. you know, to stay refreshed. Um, 
Much to our delight, a strong majority of congregations report that granting their pastor a sabbatical significantly benefited their churches. So this works both ways around. There, there's more I could read from this, um, but I have the, the article here if anyone uh, would like a copy of it. And I think this, this last piece is very crucial. The most frequent uh, claim in grantees survey narratives, so they not only ask specific survey questions, but some open-ended questions, is that without the sabbatical, they would have burned out today. Um, some credit the sabbatical for keeping them in their present location. Others make even stronger claims, such as this one. I'm not sure the sabbatical saved my life, but without it, I'm pretty sure I'd no longer be in ministry. And I think that is, uh, is pretty crucial, that if we want ministers to stay long-term in ministry through the ups and downs of ministry, sabbaticals, I think, are a really crucial piece. I've only met one um, minister who didn't come out of his sabbatical refreshed, and that's because he spent um, his sabbatical in a training program. And that was very interesting because um, this survey said that they found the same thing, that the ministers who weren't refreshed, and it was a very small minority, didn't use the time for refreshment and enrichment. Um, if they used it for an educational opportunity, they might not have gotten um, the full benefit of their, of their sabbatical. So I really want to encourage you to think about Sabbath, sabbatical, encouraging your churches, get the conversation started. Um, I've worked with two or three ministers in communicating with their elders what it might mean for them to take a sabbatical, how to get their churches ready, how to prime their elders for the conversation. It's not like you just walk in one day and say, I want a sabbatical. <laughs> um, but, but what this might mean, what, what the benefit could be, not only to the minister, but to the church, and how helpful that, that can be. Yes? How much do you charge? How much do I charge? Yeah, to talk to my elders. <laughs> I would do it for free. Uh, it's been I, such a... I, I, I went to... The youth minister and I went to the elders. I've been there now 18 years. Wow. Three years ago, and I said, I need a yeah. sabbatical. Yeah. And basically by saying no, after I laid it out before what I wanted to do, what he wanted to do, they pretty much said, no, you don't. Uh, they did give me an extra week's vacation, but that was pretty much kind of a, yeah. like a consolation prize. Yeah, Because yeah. I don't think they understood what the sabbatical right. I wanted to do with it. And, and it, I was going to use it, I go on a mission trip every year, I was going to include that mm -hmm. as part of the time. And realistically, it was going to take like uh, another two weeks yeah. in addition to two weeks, you know, just one month. And... Uh, it was no. And so I had to reframe my way of yeah. thinking about myself and what I was doing. Sure. And, uh, you know, they didn't even have to pay me for the month. I didn't right. care. Yeah. Uh, but it, that wasn't the point. Yeah. It, you know, it's just one of those where they don't. And, and you know, I, I, I actually, I, I'm not sure if it was that article, um, but we did present them with an mm -hmm. article. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say this in this crowd, yeah. I'll, I'll hear the groaning. Uh, they said, 
but you're not a pastor. That was the word that one of the elders picked out. And I said, okay, you take a sabbatical. And I actually was encouraging it for the elders as well yeah, yeah. Uh, to take a time off of shepherding for yeah. a month or two or three months, yeah. something like that. Uh, so anyway, I'll just lay that out before Yeah, you. it's a challenge because people, we don't always have models of this for them to relate to. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so... And nobody's ever experienced it within the congregation. Right. I mean, I'm only the third minister in 40-something yeah. years. So. And I think, for me, it was a little helpful having some people in academia because some of those folks can relate a little bit more to... Uh, yeah. Academic well, sabbaticals. Really? Keep the conversation going, was, brother. <laughs> one of them's son, the one who objected the most, his son. Uh, one of them is a professor at a Christian yeah. seminary, and the other one is a, wow. is a minister, and they both talked about how wonderful it was coming back from their Sabbath. But he was the one who wow. took the sabbatical, brother. Wow. He was the one who, yeah. and they talked it up for my benefit. Well, we need to keep talking about this and keeping it in front so people can, can see it. Um, do you or this article have a like suggested amount of time, both for the sabbatical and for how long it should take for you kind of like, mm -hmm. I guess, earn it, for lack of a better word? Yeah, I, I think traditionally, you know, it's been after seven years. The most typical time frame has been three months, though people have, you know, sometimes done it for less as, as need be. Um, I think you really, to, to do it well, I think you have to plan at least a year in advance. And there's also some good recommendations, too, on how to prepare your congregation for it. Like we, the first time I did it, we actually made a little brochure um, with what we're going to be doing on the sabbatical. And then we had some frequently asked questions that we thought the congregation might be asking, like, who, who do we go to for pastoral care if a crisis happens? And, you know, kind of, who's going to be preaching? And so kind of answer, answer that. So I tried to anticipate what would be, you know, is this just a, a long vacation? You know, so tried to anticipate some of the things that people might bring, at, bring up. It was something to put in people's hands. And, and then the elders, um, you know, kind of did a, a blessing and, and sending out as I left on the sabbatical, as well as when I re-entered into my ministry, kind of re reaffirming and welcoming back, me back. So I think those are important pieces. And, um, and, you know, I'm certainly glad to share any of that. I've shared my little brochure with with uh, with friends to use in their in their context. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, so I'm the youth minister, and there's so there's two ministers on staff preaching the lead ministry. I actually went to my elders like two years ago, and some of them individually tried to get our preaching minister a sabbatical and offered to step up, and uh, basically, you know they. They didn't follow up on the conversation, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And now he's retiring from ministry mm -hmm. because he burned out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's just it just amazes me that yeah. that concept isn't grasped for mm -hmm. for ministry, you know. Well ministers have a you know, a, a unique role in, and 
you know, I think burnout is ever, ever before us, hence, hence the class, you know. Okay, let, let me peek at our time, and okay, we've got 15 more minutes, so we're, we're doing good. So I'm going to share, what, and afterwards we can talk more um, about Sabbath or sabbaticals as well, but I want to um, mention another tool that's been helpful for me. Um, for some people, it doesn't work or they have skepticism, and that's okay. This is not something that's fall, fallen from heaven. But over the last year, I've um, been working with the Enneagram. And if you're not familiar with it, the Enneagram is simply an ancient um, personality tool um, that identifies nine different types of, of personalities. And so again, this is not something that's dropped out of heaven, but many people have found this helpful. And with each of these numbers is a certain kind of personality. And each person can operate either at a healthy level or a not so healthy level or a very un unhealthy level. And um, there is room to grow within um, each personality type. If you want a quick introduction, there's an app, I believe it's for free, called the Inia app. And it will give you a lot of information about the Enneagram. Um, since this isn't a class on the Enneagram, I'm going to just list a few things that are helpful about it. Um, that maybe is also a quick introduction. And so these different personality types are kind of how we function in the world, as well as... Um, kind of tap into our motivations. And so underneath it is hopefully our, our, our true self, our, our self in the image of God. But these are ways that we have learned to cope from a, a very early time that get fixed. And so each of these personality types has a lie behind them that we have bought into. And, and so the gospel also gives us a message to each type. And so one of the uh, good books, if you want to read a short, easy book on the Enneagram, it's called The Road Back to You by Ian Cron and Suzanne Stabile. So I'm just going to read to you something that Ian Cron shared about the lie for each personality type and what the gospel speaks to each personality type. And you can just see if any of this resonates with you. Um, so number one, which is the reformer or the perfectionist, um, the lie is that it's not okay to make mistakes. I'm a one. Um, but the gospel news is you are good. You don't have to be perfect. And he gives a quote that one famous person, I think he said it was Ernest Hemingway, said, now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. <laughs> um, Enneagram number two is the helper. And the lie there is that it's not okay to have your own needs. You've got to help everyone else. But the gospel is you are wanted just for being you. Enneagram number three is the performer or the achiever. Um, and the lie is, I am what I do. But the gospel news is you are loved for who you are. Enneagram number four is the individualist. And the lie there is you will never belong. 
you have a fatal flaw. But the gospel news is you are seen for who you are. Enneagram number five is the investigator. Sometimes these are called by different labels, so that's why I'm looking on the screen. It's not okay to feel too comfortable in this world. But the gospel truth is your needs are not a problem. Enneagram number six is the loyalist. And the lie is it's not okay to trust yourself, but the gospel truth is you are safe in God. Number seven is often called the enthusiast. And the lie there is that it's not okay to depend on anyone or anything, but the gospel truth is you will be taken care of ultimately by God. Enneagram number eight is the challenger, and the lie is it's not okay to be vulnerable or trust anyone, but the truth is you will not ultimately be betrayed, especially by God. And then number nine, which is the peacemaker, it is not okay to assert yourself is the lie, but the truth is your presence matters. So you can think about if any of those resonate with you, and, and maybe you want to explore the Enneagram some more. What, um, one of the things that I discovered that was very interesting in, in learning about and trying to experience the Enneagram um, was some information from Christopher Hertz. He wrote a book called The Sacred Enneagram, and I went to a workshop that he did. And he relates different spiritual disciplines two different Enneagram numbers. And I want to talk about this just for a brief moment. And so you can think about your Enneagram number, if you know what it is. And this is the spiritual discipline that goes with it. So if you're an eight, nine, or one, yours is stillness. If you're two through four, yours is solitude. If you're five, six, or seven, it's silence. Now this is very interesting. Because, as I mentioned, when I'm an Enneagram number one, which is stillness, and as I mentioned, when I was on my sabbatical, walking the Camino in Spain, I said I was in my zone. I'm walking, I'm doing something physical, I'm talking with, with people, I have some quiet time alone, I'm praying, I'm meditating, and it's all very physical, and I loved it. But this says stillness. <laughs> What's going on here? And, um, and he says, and I found this very interesting, that often the spiritual discipline we need is also the one that's most hard for us. And for me, I love solitude. I love being with people. I love silence. Do I like stillness? <laughs> no, that's the one I have a difficult time with. And yet, it may be in stillness where some of my deficiencies and my brokenness are, are exposed to me. So, um, so I leave that with you to, to think about. Um, and, yes? One of the things that, so I just finished reading this book. Oh, great. And my daughter actually called me and said, Mom, we need to get this book. Because for her, she said she cried because... It was what she'd always felt, huh. and, and she found herself. Yeah. But what was interesting is, you may be like, say, for me, I'm a two, naturally. But under stress 
and drama, mm. I become an eight, which yeah. is a challenger. Yeah. And so I've had a lot of that in my life. So a lot of people see me as a bulldozer uh-huh. and as a control freak because when I get scared, that's what I do. Yeah. But that's not who I am. Yeah. And I found that very fascinating about that. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. And many people, um, you know, when they discover what their number is, it's a very emotional and powerful experience because they feel like they've been, they've been found out. <laughs> Sorry, could you give me the name of the book again? Um, this one is called The Sacred Enneagram. Uh, the other one that's a great introduction is called The Road Back to You. That's one. Yeah, and, um, and then the, the Ennea app. Those are all great places. We've got about five minutes left, and so the last thing I want to do is a brief meditation. I don't know if any of you have experienced or done um, the examine. Um, If you have no idea what that is, perfect. Um, I'm glad. And I'm going to talk about it, and we're going to to do it. So the examine is a a Jesuit form of prayer. Um, Ignatius of of, um, Loyola, thank you. (laughs) came up with it, and the foundation behind it is uh, Ignatius believes that God is in all things, that God's presence is everywhere in the everyday part of our life, that God is at work and active. And I think we all probably believe it, but the, the examine is to move that from our head into our experience. And so I am going to... Um, walk us through it, and usually this is done between 15 or 20 minutes long. It's a way of retuning ourselves to God's presence in our ordinary life. It's a way to remember God's presence, express gratitude, reflect on the day, and prepare for the day to come. So we're going to do it in an abbreviated fashion, and I'm going to use some images and words that Fuller Seminary um, shared So that's where this is uh, coming from. Um, But the pattern of the examine is is typical. So we're going to do it um, quickly, but hopefully meditatively, and hopefully this will be an encouragement for you to do it. So here is the first part. Stop, breathe deeply, and know that you are in God's presence. God has been with you since the beginning of your day in every detail. As you prepare to look back on your day, so you might think of tomorrow, or excuse me, yesterday, ask the Holy Spirit to shine the light that will, that will clear your vision so that you might see what God wants you to see. In the words of Psalm 139, where could I go to get away from your presence? Where could I go to escape your presence? If I went up to heaven, you would be there. If I went down to the grave, you would be there too. Give thanks. Every moment in your day is a gift from God. Be thankful for all of it, even the smallest thing. A patch of blue sky, the music in your headphones, a smile from a stranger, Allow gratitude to draw you into the fullness of your life. The first two verses of Psalm 9 declare, I will thank you, Lord, with all my heart. I will ask about all your wonderful acts. I will celebrate and rejoice in you. 
I will sing praises to your name, Most High. Review your day. Think back over your day, who you were with, where you were, what you did, however ordinary. Recall the sights, sounds, smells, conversations, thoughts, and feelings you experienced. What enlivened you? What discouraged you? Give your attention to those moments and offer them to God. Psalm 39, Lord, you have examined me. You know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up, even from far away, you comprehend my plans. You study my traveling and resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. You might walk through your day. Face your shortcomings. As you consider your day, reflect honestly on the moments you felt out of tune with God, something you said, a missed opportunity, some way you wish you had acted differently. For what do you need forgiveness? Do you need to make things right with someone else? Look at your shortcomings and allow God to heal them. In the words of Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Think back through your day. And then finally, I guess that was finally, look toward the day to come. As you end your day, look to tomorrow. What are you looking forward to and what concerns you? Ask for God's help in the future to open your eyes, your ears, and your heart to see where God is working. Remember that God will again be present tomorrow in all things large and small, guiding you toward fullness in all your life. As you conclude the prayer of examine, remember the promises of, one, of Psalm 121. I will raise my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the Lord will protect you on your journeys, whether going or coming from now until forever from now on. And so this is a wonderful prayer meditation to do at the end of your day or, or the next day and to think back over your day with, with those things and just reflect on God's presence. Well, I want to end with a, with a blessing and, um, and send us... Uh, Fourth, and I thank you for uh, all that you've offered. Lord Jesus, you stretched out your arms of love upon the hard wood of the cross so that all of us might come within the reach of your saving embrace. Clothe us in your spirit that we too might reach our, out our hands in love, especially to those who do not know you, so that they may know your love and embrace as well. To the glory and honor of your name, amen. God be with you. Thank <clears throat> you.